everlasting life. Now he's talking spiritual, and she's thinking about water in a well. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. I, that sounds like indoor plumbing. That sounds good. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now, it says there back in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. You know why? Because guess who knew that there was a woman going out to the water well at high noon? He knew that's where she's going to be. He's God. He knows. And he, like nobody else probably on planet Earth at that time, cared about her and thought about her and wanted to meet up with her so he could talk to her. And he was a Jew. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She's already impressed with him because she knows that normally a Jewish man would never, never be there. Be with Samaritans, let alone with her. <clears throat> and so after he tells her about this wonderful water that's everlasting, and she says, I want it. And of course, she's not really thinking about what it really is. He says, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her in verse 17, thou hast well said, I have no husband. <coughs> you're right. You're, you are, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. But, verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast, in other words, you're living with a guy, is not thy husband. In that says thou truly. Yeah, I know, you, you don't have a husband. But you've had five, and the guy you're with now, is not even, you're not even married to him. I love this story. I love this story because that's pretty bold. And yet she realizes that he knew all that ahead of time and he still wanted to meet her and talk to her. And so instead of getting mad or upset, she just says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> and so she asks him a Bible question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Because when the Samaritans, when the northern tribes split from the southern kingdom, Judah and the southern kingdom continued to worship at Jerusalem in the temple, which was the right way. And if you know the story and you go back and read Kings and Chronicles, you, you see that Jeroboam realized we can't, if we're going to split as two nations, we can't have our people going back down to Jerusalem to worship because then they'll end up getting back together. So he started his own religion in what became Samaria. And, and and so they they got all, you know, cattywampus in even the right way to worship as far as where they should worship. And so she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where ye ought to worship. So that's a big argument. You know, my my fathers, my, my forefathers say that this mountain's where we should worship. And you guys say Jerusalem's where we should worship. Well, technically, Jerusalem is correct. But notice what he says in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because, yes, the Samaritans are wrong. That was never the right place. But Jesus also knows that even though Jerusalem was the right place and the temple was what God, those guys are wrong too. The, the Pharisees, the, the high priests that eventually put him on the cross, uh, they're also wrong. Selling, you know, the money changers, selling the animals, and on and on. He said, but the hour comes and now is. When the final sacrifice is going to take place on the cross, and you're going to understand what worship is. God is the spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. I know there's a Messiah. I know that. And I know that he is Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us. And he says in verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he I am the Messiah and you know what I love she believed it she believed it he's the Messiah 
and she ran back into town. She was so excited she left her water pots. She ran back into town and started telling everybody, I found the Messiah. And he told me everything I've ever done. He's the Christ. And they, by her excitement, were curious as to what in the world's gotten into her. And she got saved. But in this conversation, he says something about worship, and it's something we need to look at because there's certainly a confusion about worship today. And so as we read, we, we start here on page 49. We read about the Lord Jesus and the woman at the well. Many things in this story reach out for our attention, but notice in verse 23 the expression, <clears throat> true worshipers. So obviously there are false worshipers. I think the Samaritans were false worshipers. I think many of the people in Jerusalem were false worshipers. And there are many false worshipers today. And so, you know, we can talk about, well, the Catholic Church, that's not right. Well, you know what? People in Baptist churches that aren't saved and aren't right with God aren't truly worshiping either. All right? And so, true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a true worshiper? We do not have to come together collectively to worship the Lord. We can do it on our own. We can worship God alone in our hearts, praising him and entering into his presence. When you hear someone say, uh, I, I go fishing and that's my church. Listen, you can worship God and you can be praying and talking to God while you're fishing. But you can't have church while you're fishing. All right, But you can worship anywhere. And, and being by yourself and having time away is a good thing if you're worshiping God and praising the Lord and talking to the Lord. I think about Henry, our friend Henry, who uh, wired this building years ago. I'd, I'd hear him in here by himself, and he'd just be singing, and, and then he'd start laughing and praising the Lord and just thinking about something good that was encouraging to him. And uh, You know, you, you can worship God anywhere at any time. You don't have to come collectively to worship the Lord. And we can worship him alone in our hearts, and we can praise him and enter into his presence on ourse- by ourselves. However, we set aside a place to meet and come together on the Lord's day to have a service, and we do that. We have a meeting place, and we even have it so fancy that it's got heat and a roof and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we say that we are there to worship the Lord. But we know that much is going on in churches in the name of worship that's not true worship. We know that. That's what's happened as religion tends to be when we get away from God. I want to just remind you that it says in Romans 8 verse 8, flesh cannot please God. God is not pleased with flesh. And much of what is called worship is just in the flesh. And the Bible says faith is what pleases God, not not flesh. God has made us so that we might worship him once we have been redeemed by his precious blood. You really can't worship him until you've been saved. You can respect him and you can have a desire to worship him, but you really can't worship him. <coughs> and it can't be true worship until you are a believer and a, and a born-again Christian. It's impossible for us to be the followers of the Lord that we should be unless we are true worshipers of him. And God has designed us to be worshipers of the true and living God. And that's why even unsaved people know that they should worship God. They know that they need to. But they don't necessarily worship God truly because they're not saved. So we're going to just see three points tonight concerning worship. And hopefully you'll learn or get something out of this. And I know I have just studying it. Number one, God the Son seeks. And that's really the three points tonight. God the Son seeks, God the Father seeks, and God the Spirit seeks. First of all, God the Son is seeking. Don't you love the first part of this story? The disciples were like, what do we got to go to Samaria for? We never go to Samaria. I, I've never been to Samaria. What do we go? Because there's somebody I want to meet. I want you guys to go to town and buy some food, and I'm going to go find this person that I need to talk to. <coughs> God the Son seeks several things in John chapter 4. Lead up to the teaching about true worshipers. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus, he must needs go through Samaria. That means he, he it, it was something in his mind, it was an appointment. Despite the Samaritan woman's wicked past, she had a divine appointment to meet the Son of God. And we read about that wonderful conversation, verse 7 through 10, as we've already read. The Lord Jesus told her that she did not know the gift of God. Look at this again. Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So Jesus, being the perfect soul winner, knows exactly how to start the conversation. Give me water to drink. 
He wants to talk about water because he wants to talk about living water. <clears throat> By the way, the best way we can learn how to be soul winners is to see how Jesus did it and how other people in the Bible did it. Coming, you know, taking a, a natural concept and turning it into a spiritual concept. I remember hearing a friend of mine years ago, a friend of mine was a car salesman and he uh, he was in the car sales room in the in the front room and you know all the dealership there and all the cars around and behind them was this cornfield and one of the guys said hey look there's some guy out there walking around the cornfield and he's just walking around and they talked about it for a long time and finally well, well why don't we go find him well i don't know it's kind of weirdo walking around the cornfield and finally <clears throat> my dad's friend dave said well i'll go find out so he goes out there hey we're just here at the dealership wondering why you're walking around the cornfield come to find out he's a He's he's a bee guy. He's a, a beekeeper. He studies bees, and he just wanted to follow these bees and study their habits, and so he's just all mesmerized by bees. And uh, and Dave said, you know who made the bees? And started talking to him about the Lord and just took, took the natural and turned it into a spiritual conversation and began to witness to him and led that man to the Lord in the cornfield out there. Jesus was that way. He saw every conversation as an opportunity, and so he talked about water. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If thou knewest the gift of God, if you understood the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him. So, first of all, the Lord told her that she didn't know the gift of God. And you know something? The unsaved don't know the gift of God. And that's why we've got to tell them. Now, I was talking to a little guy tonight in, in Noah's friends, and uh, I asked him, why did Jesus die on the cross? And he kind of understood that Jesus died on the cross and that somebody uh, put him on the cross, and but he doesn't fully comprehend what the gift of God is. He's a little guy. He's in kindergarten. But you know, there's a lot of people that know that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't really understand what it's all about. They don't really understand. Okay, so some guy died on the cross, and he was a good man, and somebody didn't like him, and they killed him. No, no, it, it, he's not just a good man. He's God. And he was sent to earth to die for our sin. And if we don't realize that, we'll pay for our own sin, and we'll end up in hell. Jesus died to spare us from hell. And people don't understand the gift. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave. It's a gift. And he said, lady, if you understood the gift of God, if you understood the gift, the unsaved don't understand the gift of salvation through God's son. Christ also told her that she did not know who it was that asked her for a drink. If you knew who was talking to you, if you knew who I was, People don't just need to know about the gift. They need to realize, as I just said, that Jesus wasn't just a good man. As a matter of fact, if Jesus was just a good man, he's a liar because he caused a whole religion to get started on a false assumption. No, Jesus said he was the son of God, and he is God. And so if you know the gift, number two, if you know him, and then the third thing that Jesus made her aware of was her sin. He said, you need to understand the gift of God and you need to understand who I am and you need to understand who you are. And that's what he did. When you talk to people, the hardest part is to tell them who they are. <laughs> I mean, we're not perfect either, right? We're sinners. So that part should make it easier. And it's not necessary that we know how many marriages someone has before we talk to them. They already know that. We just need to convey to them, hey, I don't even know you, but I know you're a sinner. And I don't know how many sins you've committed or what sins you've committed, but I know this, you're on your way to hell. Jesus, being God, could get a little more detailed than that. He just said, I know how many times you've been married, and I know what you're doing now. Christ made him her know about the gift. He made her aware of the fact of who he is, is, or at least he started her curiosity as to who he is. I think that's why she asked or said something about the Christ. But then thirdly, Christ made the woman aware of her sin by asking about her husband. Well, you talk about a sore subject. 
you don't need to drag people through the mud, but you do need to make them aware of their sin. People must be aware of their sin and know that sin separates them from God. The only payment for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I was talking to that little boy that came to me tonight, he's not aware of his sin. That's why we're not going to go any farther with it. There was another little boy that came to me years ago named Sam Furs, and he said he wanted to get baptized. But I knew that Sam Furs wasn't really aware of his sin yet. <coughs> and, and so Jesus didn't just say, oh, you want the living water? Here, repeat after me. Say this prayer. No, no. He, he wanted to make sure that we go through the understanding that you're a sinner and you've been searching for something that's never satisfied yet. The only payment for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, she knew who the Messiah was. She understood the idea of Messiah being Christ, the Savior, the Lamb of God. She understood those things, even though she was a Samaritan. And the Lord Jesus sought after this woman. And Luke 19 says, 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, that's him, comes to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, he said, I'm not looking for the ones who don't think they're lost. I'm looking for the ones who do think they're lost. The reason why he went to the Samaritan woman at the well is because a lot of the other Samaritans didn't think they were lost. But this one being married five times, shacking up with a guy, she knew she's lost. She didn't know what to do about it, but she knew she was lost. She knew she's a mess. And the Lord Jesus sought after her. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. He sought for her to know the gift of God and to know him. And that's the same thing he did for all of you too. This story about her is all about you. Uh, he found you, you didn't find him. He made sure somebody crossed your path and helped you to find him and, and piqued your interest. He made sure that this woman got saved so that then she could go into town and pique the interest of all the other Samaritans in town. So they could come out and get saved. Because God the Son is seeking, and he is still seeking. And so it is with the Father. God the Father is seeking. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, I believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. <clears throat> but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So just like the Son is seeking, God the Father is also seeking something as well. We know that, <clears throat> that God the Son is seeking sinners, but God's word tells us right here that the Father seeks people to worship him but it has to be people who understand the truth people who have said already are born again people who are his children by adoption by being born again <clears throat> when people trust christ as savior when they have been redeemed and born into god's family then god the father is seeking them to worship him god is not seeking unsaved people to worship him god is seeking unsaved people to get saved it doesn't do any good for us to get a whole crowd of people in here and sing worship songs if they're not saved. <clears throat> and that, that might fool us or make us feel good, but it's not impressing God. He's seeking people who are saved to worship because that's what true worship, true worshipers are saved people. So the Father seeks people to worship him and only the redeemed can worship him. It doesn't matter if you see a whole bunch of, I, I mean, I've seen from time to time, I have seen famous country music stars singing Amazing Grace or the Old Rugged Cross or some other hymn. Can I tell you something? I don't think a lot of worship's going on. I mean, when the same singer sings, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right, Barbara Mandrell then sings an Amazing Grace song. I'm telling you right now, I don't think God's getting a lot out of that. It's perfect pitch. She's got a beautiful voice, but it ain't worship. It's not worship. That's why I don't appreciate any of those people singing those songs, and I don't like to listen to them sing the songs. I'd rather listen to Mr. Spear sing the song or Mr. Williams sing the song. <clears throat> 
or Tom Furs, who can't sing to save his life, sing the song. Why? Because they are true worshipers. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We get so wrapped up in what it sounds like in our human ears or something like that as if that's going to please God. And a lot of times, just like Cain, it's, it's our fruits and vegetables that he's not impressed with that. God the Father seeks true worshipers, not professional singers or anything professional. You can't be a true worshiper of the Father unless you've been saved. Philippians 3.3 3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Let's look at Philippians 3.3 3 and see the context here. Philippians 3.3 3 is all about goody-two-shoe religious Pharisee Jews such as Paul was and this is what he's saying. In Philippians 3 verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, people who are outwardly circumcised but not inwardly heart circumcised. And then verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision, spiritually speaking, as it says in Romans chapter 2 and other places, which worship God in the spirit, spiritually speaking, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. This is why a lot of quote-unquote worship isn't worship, because it's confidence in the flesh. Wow, they are so good at that. Look, that doesn't impress God just because it impresses you. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, blameless. Paul says, I, you talk about having confidence in the flesh. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I'm telling you right now, it wasn't until I was circumcised spiritually in the heart that I could truly worship God in the spirit. So don't be fooled by fake worship. God the Father seeks true worship. For we are the circumcision and worship God in the spirit. Sometimes a church will plan services with worldly music and worldly activities in order to attract the unsaved. This is a mistake that many Christians have done, and there's CCM music, contemporary Christian music. There is Christian rock, which is an oxymoron. Rock and roll, rock and roll is a term that comes from the 50s when kids would go out and park their car and then make it rock and roll. And I'm not going to go any further than that. That's why it's called rock and roll. Look it up. You think I'm making this up? The disc jockey termed it rock and roll music. So sex music. So Christian sex music? No. There is no such thing as Christian rock. That isn't worship. And, and, And when you blend the unsaved world with Christianity, you don't get Christianity. And so... This concept that we're and, and and of course they sold the idea with well if we if we blend our doctrinal good words with their music, it will attract more people into the fold. No, it'll attract more Christians to be like them. It didn't really grow any more worshippers. It just actually brought the world into the church, and that's what happened. We know that. It just became entertainment for the Christian and not a real evangelism of the world in a spiritual way. But a church service is to be a worship service. The unsaved cannot worship God. I am thankful we had visitors this Sunday. I don't know if they're saved or not. I don't. I'm thankful for visitors. I'm so thankful we have people (coughs) that come to our church. But the truth is the unsaved person cannot worship but does that mean they shouldn't come? No, we should, they should realize, wow, I want to be here. But they hear the gospel and they want to know more and they want to get saved and they want to worship God. So it would be wrong for me to pretend with them that they are worshiping and to give them the false hope or confidence that they are worshiping. They can spectate, really, but they can't really truly worship. And so the worship service is what church should do because hopefully the people are saved and 
That's what it should be is a worship service. The unsaved cannot worship God. Yes, we are to seek after the lost, but we should not become worldly in order to bring in the world because the world cannot worship God. That's not how we catch them. We need to go to them. Did you notice that Jesus did not invite her to the church meeting they were going to have? He didn't. He went to her and talked to her one-on-one. That's soul winning. Well, pastor, I invited so-and-so to church, and they didn't come. I guess they're just going to have to go to hell. Why don't you take Jesus to them since they're not going to come? They don't feel comfortable. They're not saved, so why should they feel comfortable in a worship service? Take it to them like Jesus did at the well and lovingly and patiently witnessed to them. If they come to church, great, and maybe they'll hear a sermon while they're here that will help them, but, man, you can take the sermon to them like he did. That's what we are to be doing and recognizing that's that's the God's command. God's command is not for us to not go into all the world and preach the gospel and substitute it with some kind of Christian music thing that's going to get people to come. No, no, no. Let's just, let's just recognize it's to preach the gospel. Now, this dovetails into the next part of it, and it is mentioned here about worldly music. Worldly music is a worldly beat. It's a worldly music. It's a worldly philosophy of music. And so I'm going to talk about what God the Spirit seeks. <coughs> we have what God the Son seeks. We have what God the Father seeks. And now we see God the Spirit and what he seeks. John chapter 4 and verse 24, he said this, God is a spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit is also God. And they that worship God... They that worship him must worship him in small s, spirit, and in truth. So God is a spirit. He's spiritual. He's a spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's why we know we need to be saved. Because it is a spiritual worship. But I want you, with your finger there in John 4, I just want to show you something real quick in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse 24, excuse me, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that the Bible has man in three parts, just like God is in three parts. And it says spirit and soul and body. There are three parts to man, to mankind. And the parts have different roles and they play different parts. And mankind has a spirit that either becomes enlightened and is born again or will eventually become snuffed out and darkened. Man has a soul. The soul is you on the inside. Your body is what we all look at. Your body is your vehicle that your soul resides in. Unsaved people have souls. Unsaved people have a spirit. But if they reject Christ, they go to hell in soul and body. And their spirit is no more. I don't know how to totally explain that to you other than to read you something that would help you to see it that way, and that's in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. You hear mind, soul, and body a lot. The Bible says spirit, soul, and body. And Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, this is what Jesus said. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's no mention of spirit there, is there? But we know that body goes in the grave and is corrupt and the soul goes to hell. But the Bible also says concerning the spirit part of man, some interesting things. So I'm going to look at Psalms and Proverbs. We'll go first of all to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 says, <coughs> The spirit of man, small s, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, 
searching all the inward parts of the belly. There's a conscience that God gives us. Uh, there's a light. I don't want to say there is some kind of divine light, but there is a an, a light of understanding that mankind, we know that we're a created being. We know we have a maker. We know that death is something that faces us, and we know there's an unknown, and there's just... There's a there's something in man. Even heathens in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa have have known they need to worship somebody. They they know, and they try to worship the, the, the maker of the trees and the maker of the ocean and the maker of the you know of the you know the the deer or the maker of uh, the the crops and even pagan religions they worship the god of the sun and the god of the stars or the god of the moon or whatever it might be. Because the spirit of man tells man that there's something more than just what we see naturally. And so I think the spirit of man, generally speaking, knows. And that's why this woman at the well, she was searching, but she wasn't finding. Because the Samaritan religion was never going to show you the truth. And so her spirit was darkening. She's on man number six. Look with me in Psalm 18, and we'll go back to Proverbs here in a minute. So Psalm 18, and then we'll go back to Proverbs. Psalm 18 and verse 28. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. But you know what? It's God that lights that candle. It's God, when you get saved, that enlightens you in ways that your spirit couldn't by itself understand things. And also, back in Proverbs chapter 13, I just want to show you two more things. Proverbs chapter 13 <coughs> and verse number 9. Proverbs 13, 9. What happens to the person who doesn't get saved? Proverbs 13, 9 says... The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And Proverbs 24 says in verse 20, For there shall be no reward to the evil man, the candle of the wicked shall be put out. And so what goes to hell? The body and soul, and the spirit is put out. If they don't get saved, there's no enlightening. But if they get saved, the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord. All of a sudden, there's illumination there, and God saves them through his Holy Spirit's working in their life, and they are a lit candle that cannot be put out. And then the last thing I want to look at concerning this is Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. This is why it's always a good thing to witness, because unless, unless they're reprobate, there's a candle that can still be illuminated if we'll just take the time to witness and, and, and share and spread truth to the world around us. Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They're already chosen darkness and their candle is going out. See, the unsaved don't have this spiritual connection to God. And so by the time they die, it's just the body and soul and the spirit is snuffed out. I don't know if that made a whole lot of sense to you, but the Bible does say, as I said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, says there is a spirit, a soul, and a body. And yet the people who die without Christ, their body goes to destruction, their soul goes to hell. We know that. We teach that. We've, we've always taught that. Why does all this matter, Pastor? Because God the Spirit seeks those who will worship him in soul. Does God seek worshipers to worship him in soul? No. Does God seek worshipers to worship him in body? See, otherwise we could just, we could just have a huge crowd come and we'd have a bunch of bodies and souls in the room, but we wouldn't necessarily have spiritual worshipers. Did you know there's soul music? Have you ever heard of soul train? See, the soul is psyche. It speaks. Your body feels. Beat is powerful because beat is rhythm. 
And all music has beat. Right now, my body's beating. If it wasn't, I'd be dropping dead like that football player almost did the other day. Our, our bodies have rhythm. But if, if beat is too much beat or out of rhythm or erratic, that's a bad thing. And so even the music we sang tonight has some rhythm to it. And there can be some soul connection to even the songs that we sing. <clears throat> but if all the music is is feeding the body and feeding the soul, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your... They know. They know it better than we know it, that there is soul music. There's body music. But spiritual music, Hey, let me show you another verse. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 and 19. Ephesians 5, 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Capital S, Spirit. Verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns. And what kind of songs? Spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Our songs and our music needs to be a spiritual worship, not a fleshly worship. Somebody said this years ago, and I think it's true. A lot of your Christian, quote-unquote, Christian songs today sound like God is my girlfriend. Breathy. I mean, you could, you could just change the name to your personal boyfriend, and it would sound, why? Because it's all soul and body. Soul is emotion body is feeling and beat but spiritual is different and music can work on the emotions which is outward more than the inward stimulating the flesh more than subduing the flesh working it up and 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 most people use you'll see especially with young people the the song is like really upbeat and and and, and people enjoy it because the kids are all but it's not really spiritual now, I don't think that music should have no beat. I mean, that'd be like, I mean, that'd be horrible. It needs some rhythm for life. Life has rhythm, but not worked up in our soul, but not in our spirit. And the world is good at soul music. And there are, there's a lot of music out there that's very emotional and has a touchy-feely good story to it. But the Spirit, capital S Spirit, seeks true worshipers who worship him in small s Spirit and in truth. In other words, we are born again and there's a Spirit within us that connects to his Spirit. So let's read this in our book here. God is a Spirit, verse 24 says of John 4, and they that worship him must worship him in Spirit and in truth. How does the Holy Spirit seek if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit in the life of the believer seeks to worship the Lord Jesus and to exalt Christ. <clears throat> That's who should be exalted. The Holy Spirit of God is pointing people to Christ, not to himself. The Holy Spirit of God is, is connecting with the spiritual in spiritual songs to worship the Lord give you some examples <clears throat> just this week i'd play it for you but it's just too nuts but just just this past week some church somewhere in america had a guy in tight jeans and a tight muscle shirt and uh and this woman in a kind of a mini skirt and, and whatever and they're both got microphones and the the music is being played and most of it's not piano anymore it's just you know out of the the speakers and so the background music starts to play. This is a church, supposedly. And it's the song, The Eye of the Tiger from Rocky. Bom, 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 bom. And, you know, and they're all... And then and they changed a few words. They didn't even change all the words. They kept rising up. And some of the other words in there, they just changed a few words to make it Christian. Listen, the body and the soul... <laughs> is doing that, okay? I remember years ago, there was a guy, some guy took Jailhouse Rock, Elvis's Jailhouse Rock, 
and the story in Philippians of when, of when God made the earthquake and the jailhouse rocked and Paul and Silas was rescued from the jailhouse and he took jailhouse rock, changed a few words and made it a Christian song about when God made the jailhouse rock. And I don't even remember the beat to that one. But, you know, some of you probably can sing the whole thing for us if you wanted to. So this guy put Christian words to Elvis's jailhouse rock. And they went to Moscow, Russia. This is like 1980-something. They went to Moscow, Russia. And he went with. And they asked him to sing. So he sang. He sang his version of jailhouse rock. Same exact music. Just a few words changed. And you know what the Russian kids did? They all got up and danced to it. Now, trust me, they weren't dancing to his English words. Their body and their soul was feeling Elvis's music. <laughs> okay? That's happening in America, in churches, where you're taking worldly music, and, and Elvis, I don't think, was a Christian. If anybody wants to argue with that, you can. Uh, and they're trying to tie it in with worship. It's not working. But what does the Holy Spirit do? And this also would speak to the charismatic Pentecostal Christians that we, we, have, we know and some are in this town. John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 17. John 14, 17. <clears throat> Even the spirit of truth, this is God, the Holy Spirit, capital S. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within the believer. Look at chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you the job of the holy spirit is to glorify jesus if you're in some kind of holy spirit holy roller meeting and it's all about the spiritual gifts or the spiritual tongues or this that isn't giving jesus the glory if it's really the holy spirit jesus gets the glory not the performer who's singing or the charismatic guy who's doing some kind of whatever healing Jesus is the one who is when, when, when the Holy Spirit is involved Jesus is the preeminent focus of the event and then chapter 15 in verse 26 if you just back up half a page chapter 15 26 but when the comforter is come whom I will send unto you from the Father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father he shall testify of me what do you have in some of these holy roller churches? People standing up and testifying, quote unquote, of the Spirit in their unknown tongue. God the Spirit seeks true worshipers. Mankind is desperate to worship God. They, they, they are, as someone said, they are hopelessly religious. You go to Africa, this is a huge deal with like our missionaries, uh, Robert Mickey and some of the others in Africa. It's music's a huge deal for them. You know why? Because Africans are into it, man. <clears throat> and so the CCM stuff really works good over there because it just flows. They already are used to the beat, man. And it's not worship. It's just charismatic stuff. It's the body and soul, but not the spirit. And so they're very careful. Now, doesn't mean they have to be boring. And I've seen Robert Mickey, and, and, and sometimes they're ladies, nice, modestly dressed, but they're, praise the Lord. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with boogie-woogie, where the body is way out of control, but a little bit of rhythm isn't wrong, okay? And you know black churches are a little more rhythmic than we are. We know that. But it's spiritual, not fleshly, not soul. It's spiritual. And music and any other worship in the church must point to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Not the performer. Not the person who, who wears the tight clothes so that everyone will look at her. 
since I was a kid. I don't know how she's, she, you know, s- still looks like a young person, but she must work hard at it. But uh, since I was a kid, there has been someone named Amy Grant. And Amy Grant was popular for singing Christian songs. Then she crossed over into more worldly music, and then she ended up uh, divorcing her husband, and Vince Gill divorced his wife, and she married Vince. And I think it was just last week that she hosted or, or had a part in a, in a friend or relative's gay wedding and sang there or something. Okay, I doubt Amy Grant's Christianity. I do. I have for a long time. Okay, Because worship is not body and soul. Worship is spiritual. What, what's called spiritual is usually body and soul in our modern day term, but it's... But, biblically spiritual the bible says we must worship god in spirit and in truth this is vital to understand worship this is not soul worship this is spirit worship many people are attending services where their souls are moved but their spirits are starved now years ago years ago not now but probably 50 years ago i have heard this from baptist preachers i have an old friend in newcastle that is an Assembly of God preacher. Most Assembly of God preachers are, you know, they're charismatic. But this is old-timer, old timer, old time, 80 years old now. He told me this story too. I'd heard it. I'd heard it from other Baptist preachers, and he told me the same story. But he said years years ago, the story goes like this: 50, 60 years ago, when they first came out with the Christian rock stuff, where you've got nice words, you know, doctrine words, with and Bible words with with the worldly beat. They, some, some people brought it to Africa or whatever it was, some foreign nation. And the Americans who were on a mission trip started playing it. And the natives went to the missionary and said, why are they playing the stuff we used to listen to before we were Christians? The beat was the same. They couldn't understand the words, see. Spiritual music is different than other music. It's just, it's different. And and by the way, nowadays, the Christian music, quote unquote, doesn't even have good doctrine in it. You know, it's it doesn't even have a really good message. You know, it's not, there's just nothing there anymore. But the souls are moved, but the spirits are starved. The souls got worked up and got excited and whoa! And I mean, everybody's just praising Jesus, quote unquote. But man, they leave and they're just as starved as they were when they came. Nothing really changed. You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and we ought not be that. If it's spiritual worship, we ought to be praising God. We ought to see some of those words, you know, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Praise God. I'm a wretch too. And God saved me. And you know what? Samaritan woman could sing that too. I was a wretch. God saved. Wow, praise the Lord. Praise God. And we get good doctrinal encouragement and feeding just looking at some of those songs and reading and and singing them and encouraging one another and edifying one another. So here's a true worship service. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Here's a true worship service. Revelation 5 verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. They're singing this. This is being sung. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And remember, we're reading it in English. It was originally written in a different language, and so it might have rhymed better than it does in English. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And if you remember 
just over a week ago, I showed you that flash mob at the mall where they sang forever and ever, hallelujah, hallelujah. That comes right out of there. Ron Hamilton wrote a wonderful song. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy. Man, you, Handel's Messiah. Forever and ever. Hallelujah. It's coming straight out of the word of God. And is there beat? Yeah. Does it touch your soul? Probably. But it's mostly spiritual. It's good stuff. And you know, when we come to church to worship, who should be prepared? Well, a preacher should be prepared. Pastor should be prepared. But you know who should be prepared? We all should be prepared. When we come into the building, we ought to just forget whatever, you know, the cell phone stuff and the conversations about business and sports and this and that. And we should realize, okay, I need to start preparing my heart so that we can sing and praise the Lord and worship him. And when visitors come in, they look and say, wow, he sings terrible, but I've never seen one as happy and as joyful and as meaningful as that guy singing right there. There's something spiritual going on there. Not just the preacher, but everyone should come to worship service prepared. In this passage, what you'll notice, though, in Revelation is that all the eyes are focused where? On the Lamb. The focus of the worship service was the Lamb. That's true spiritual worship. Because the Spirit's not focusing on himself. The Spirit's job is to point everybody to the Lamb. That's true worship. If people leave the church service saying, wow, what a wonderful preacher, the focus wasn't on the Lamb. Wow, what a wonderful actor, or wow, what a wonderful musician, or wow. No, they should say, wow, what a wonderful Savior. Because the worship focused on the Lamb. If we're going to truly worship God, all eyes must be on the Lamb. He must increase and I must decrease. The focus can't be on the praise band or the choir or the soloist or even the preacher or whoever else. It's got to be on Him. When we give testimony, we sing praise to the Lord, or we testify in, in testimony time, the focus should be on the Lamb. And everything we do and every part of our worship, the focus should be on Him. That's not what flies for worship today. I'd say that the average quote-unquote worship doesn't really focus truly on the Lamb. God the Son seeks, God the Father seeks, and God the Spirit seeks. Let's close in prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to discuss this subject of true worship. It's such a misunderstood topic, especially with music and entertainment and, and what flies today in churches. But Lord, help us to ourselves and individually ourselves to think about whether or not we're focusing on you and we're bringing attention to you and, and allowing you to be magnified and whether or not we're truly worshiping you. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.